You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Hey, wow. You know what? The imagination now. Everybody has changed. Now they're getting so uh, creative in terms of their thinking and what they can do. Man, it's, it's, this is the best I've seen. Yeah, when you jump that damn high, you got a lot of time. To He's up the floor. Reads a drop down. Kobe! Oh! Up high! Down hard! Kobe Bryant! Very deep, yeah. Blocked by LeBron! That basketball will never be the same! So that now has entered the phrase. Well, good day, good night, and welcome back to Hardwood Radio. Ben, if I tell you the word posse, does it get your blood pumping? Um, not really. <laughs> uh, here's, here's the thing. Uh, Phil Jackson, earlier this week, he had a, an interview with Jackie McMullen from ESPN where he called... Um, uh, LeBron James entourage with Maverick Carter and everybody else, his posse. I know, I know, it's a foundation called Posse something, but uh, Phil took uh, the old man out, uh, the old man uh, way out, and called them a posse altogether. Um, in this interview, he scorched Greg Popovich's old school offense and um, and Pat Riley. For some reason, and everybody now is angry at Phil, including, which is very important, his VP of basketball operation Clarence Gaines and his general manager Steve Mills. That's that's a problem. Like, like when you when your two biggest subordinate, your two most important subordinate are black, and you and so you you give them a derogatory term. Uh, you you use a derogatory term in the media. Well, it's it's exemplifying um, it's exemplifying the dysfunction that's going on in your team. Did you have the misfortune to watch a Knicks game since the beginning of the year? <laughs> Not one full one, but is it for that reason? Is it really to deflect commentary about the team and put it all on him that he did this big uh, coming out of insults, basically? Um, it's one it's one possibility and the other possibility is that um, he <coughs> he feels very insecure and he wants uh, public attention look I've watched um, the Knicks play the the um, Mavericks uh, last Saturday or last Sunday it was lamentable it was the first, the first half was one of the worst halves of NBA basketballs I've ever seen in my life it was it finished they finished at the half i think 39 36 for the mavericks and i don't know i don't know if the listeners are very um, familiar around basketball scores but 39 36 in nba 2k is a first quarter score yeah <laughs> um, in in the nba it's like a mid it's beginning to mid uh, second quarter score you're not supposed to have 39 36 score at the half and derrick rose was playing really selfishly and lazily he was passing uh it was passing in traffic and like getting intercepted he was uh, missing some crucial layups uh joachim noah who i'm I, i'm gonna remember people he is going to earn 18 18 million dollars a year Ouch. for the next four years Ouch. he he could not follow the rhythm of the game like he was simply out of sync with the game 
And then something very important happened because Phil Jackson's tenure with the Knicks uh, has some good and some bad, majorly some bad, but some good also. Uh, Jeff Hornacek, who I have been clamoring on this Tribune since the beginning of uh, 2016, is one of the best coaches in the NBA. He removed Joachim Noah from the lineup, put Gustav Porzingis at center, put uh, Carmelo Anthony at um, at power forward, and inserted smallish Justin Holiday at power forward. And guess what? The Knicks scored, um, I think, almost twice as many points in the second half and won the game. That is a coaching feat, man. Yeah, well, it's uh, <laughs> the coach doing the best of what he has. But do you think he had pressure to play Noah, to play uh, those players more because of the moves in the offseason? And now, after a few weeks, he's finally deciding to go with the lineup that he thinks will do best for the Knicks. Absolutely. I'm sure he had some pressure. And uh, the pressure to win games uh, was much more important now than it was at the beginning of the year. So he took drastic decisions to win games. And guess what? His call was the right one. Sitting Noah was uh, was the, the right move. I think Noah is going to... I love the player. I think he can be an asset to the team. I don't think he can play every game at full speed anymore because of the injuries and the uh, overusage in um, in Chicago. But he might be a very, very big albatross around the neck of the team for the next four years. All right, let's move on to other teams in the Eastern Conference. Because for yes. some reason, the East is very, very bad this year. Let's make oh, sure. Very, very bad. Uh, yeah. Are those teams good? Are those teams for real? Are the Pacers actually good, Ben? Yes, that's uh, that's my game. I like to play. Are we sure they're good? Inspired by uh, Bill Simmons. Are are the Pacers good? I've I've watched uh, Monday. I think the game against Orlando, which is another team. I'm not sure they're good, and they were both really, really, really bad in the first half. Indiana ended up winning. Um, but for a team that we have ever that was universally envisioned as a fourth seed, they are they have a five and six record. Um, they're actually one win above the Knicks, but they have one more game played. Um, Jeff Teague, their new uh, point guard, who is renowned and who I knew as one of the most stable point guards of the NBA is simply not delivering. His shooting woes are abysmal. Like, they're really, really abysmal. I think he shoots for 37%, and he shoots for 24% from three. Like, this is really bad. <sighs> That's bad. So, so what is the problem in, uh, what is the problem in um, Indiana? I think uh, the starting five is overused. I think that Jeff Teague is going to end up finding himself. The starting five is overused, and I'm not sure Nate McMillan is the guy to uh, to uh, shape this roster into anything coherent. Uh, I think, like, I think they're a playoff team. I'm not sure they're good. I six or I could see a six or seven seed, maybe. Okay. Maybe they're going to miss a playoff, but I'm not sold on them. I'm not sold on them being good. Another thing that you mentioned. Are we sure they're good, the Magic? Are we sure Orlando's good? I don't know. <laughs> I Doesn't don't know. look like I, it. Um, the Pacers game was 
abysmal. I, like, I cannot say the word abysmal enough. Um, they are scoring currently 92 points per game, which is, uh, which is an atrocity. Um, basically, they acquired the, the, uh, this offseason plenty of frontcourt player. They acquired Serge Ibaka, they acquired Bismarck Biombo from Toronto. But they had very, very good. Uh, they had a very good starting front court, and now Nikola Vucevic, who averaged like 20-something points for them last year, is not getting the ball anymore. He shot one for ten. Uh, he shot one for ten against the Pacers. We're talking about the, of a guy who took about 20 shots last year. I mean, these are he's one of the best post players in the game, and he's not getting the ball. The offense is completely incoherent. I'm thinking the Mad the Orlando Magic are not good. I'm thinking <laughs> they might miss the playoffs this year, and they might they might uh, fire their GM Rob Hennigan, who well, completely panicked this offseason. I was going to mention when you make a trade or a signing like a Serge Ibaka, mm-hmm. you kind of expose yourself for it's a career defining move, good way yes. or bad way. If it succeeds, oh wow, congratulations, you're good. If it fails, you're going to lose your job. Oh, yeah, and I think it's going to fail because uh, Serge Ibaka, like everybody in the front court, doesn't get the ball very much. I think he had uh, six points against the Pacers. I couldn't, I could be wrong, but I think that was it. Um, it no, there is no clear path to who is, who is scoring on this team and who is a role player. And uh, I think Ibaka was thought to be the go-to guy at the beginning of the year. But obviously, it's not. I'm I'm kind of expecting Robin again to be at uh, to be uh, at the unemployment office by the end of the year. Yeah, interesting. He's probably gonna find a job somewhere else because these won't be the only one who's gonna be fired. Because well, oh, other teams likely. are bad in the Eastern Conference. Are we sure the Celtics are good? This is the most difficult one. Uh, the Celtics are currently now five and five. Um, there were only one. Uh, there were only one l- win in front of Brooklyn as of yesterday. And Brooklyn, they're supposed they, they're supposed to have Brooklyn's pick. It's supposed to be a great thing that they have Brooklyn's pick. But Brooklyn was four and six yesterday. They lost to the Lakers. And um, are we sure they're good? Like they're missing right now, Boston. Uh, their two main, their their two best players, which are Al Horford and Jay Crowder, which hurts them immensely. But do you have to rely on these two players absolutely to win? They lost. Uh, they were, I think, the first win of the year for the New Orleans Pelicans, who have mysteriously won against the Celtics a couple nights ago. Um, they they were they looked like a team that was in disarray. They look like a team that once again doesn't have any clear-cut scores outside of Isaiah Thomas, and Isaiah Thomas is five foot nine. I repeat. So you don't never you never want your 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 point guard to yeah. be the shortest man in the league if he if he is your main uh, offensive option. So I think Boston is good. Are they the uh, second best team in the East? That's another story, and we're going to get to the uh, second best team in the East, in my opinion, right next. All right. So let's make sure. Are we sure they're bad? The Hawks, yes. Atlanta. Are we sure they're bad or maybe? Are they actually good? That is my biggest surprise of the year so far, Kevin. I watched the Hawks 
And, you know, remember in the offseason, I was like, I don't know what the Hawks are going to do. I don't know what this team's identity is anymore. I don't know how um, Dwight Howard fits in all there. And guess what? The Hawks are really good. They're not bad. They're really, really, really good. They have one of the best defenses in the NBA. Um, they have one of the best rebounding rates in the NBA. They are 8-2 and two right now, and they are for real. They have a completely different identity than last year, despite having more or less the same player, except maybe for Dwight Howard. And it's a new dynamic. I, that's, that's another sign of good coaching. Mike Budenholzer, who won the uh, Coach of the Year Award in 2014-2015, he showed why he's a good coach. He completely rewired his uh, team in the summer and into something that works. The Atlanta Hawks were the first team to beat uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers this year. Um, they look really good. Like I, I really, really like what I'm seeing from Atlanta. Are we sure the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, are we sure they're bad? Or maybe they're surprising everybody and maintaining a relatively surprising uh, record for them? Oh, uh, that's another difficult one. The Brooklyn Nets have very, very little talent. What they have is uh, a roster Heart? of... <laughs> the, yes, hey, that's the thing. They have a roster of underrated, industrious... Uh, they, they have Misfits. their dogs, you know. They they come in, they come in to work, they come in, they come in to fight. They have Kenny Atkinson as their as their head coach, who does not give up on them. There's a lot of good chemistry on this team. It's unlikely that they will ever do the playoffs. Um, they are, were completely dominated by uh, D'Angelo Russell and the um, and the Lakers last night. It was a thing of beauty, uh, depending on which sense of uh, which side of the fence you are. <laughs> but the Brooklyn Nets are better than we thought them to be, and they're going to fight the expectation every every step of the way. I'd be surprised if they finish in the bottom five. The way things are going, I'd be surprised if they were bottom five unless something really terrible happens. And are we sure that Portland is bad? I was on the fence uh, about Portland at the beginning of the year, if you remember. I like, they're a borderline playoff teams. Um, what happened is Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard uh, put in his mind at the beginning of the year that he would be MVP this year, and he's playing as such. Like I know we're talking a lot about James Harden and uh, Russell Westbrook this year, but um, Damian Lillard has some MVP caliber numbers. He is the player who does the most drives to the basket per games in, uh, in the NBA this season, and this is a key stat. When you, when you have an unstoppable force driving to the basket, the defense collapse. And if you have the necessary pieces on the perimeter, that allows your uh, point guard your, who drives to pass to someone who can finish the ball. And they have a lot of good players. They have uh, Alan Krabby who can shoot, who, who they pay like $15 million a year to shoot. They have CJ McCollum. Uh, they, have, they have a lot of good players. And... Is Portland a surefire, um, a sure, a surefire um, um, playoff team? I'd say with the way it's going in Minnesota and New Orleans this year, I think so. I think so. I think they're good. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a, 
a happening stance that because of the other teams are not as good as well, their level is risen a mm -hmm. little bit, and they can perform continuously to that level, they'll have a chance of yes. maybe grabbing that eighth spot, right? Uh, I think they have a chance to grab uh, maybe sixth, seventh. Oh, wow. I think I think they're good. <laughs> I think they're I, I I don't think they're bad anymore. And I think the Lakers might be the ones grabbing the eighth spot, believe it or not. Like they're seven and five this season. That's how good they are. That's another another surprise that we maybe should have. I'm uh, sure they're bad because the Lakers were not. Nothing was expected of the Lakers in the post Kobe no, era. No, not at all. Exactly right. And they and they gelled the Lakers. Like they have fun together. They want to play for their coach. They gelled. They're spectacular. They're athletic. And I think I think they're going to surrender their their first round draft pick this year because they owe it to uh, the Sixers unless it's first overall, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, but they shouldn't care. Like they're on the right track right now. Uh, you, one thing you wanted to talk about is that the best yes. teams have insane defense, and you have a stat study that shows why the Clippers and the Hawks. The, the Clippers is a kind of a surprise in the Western Conference because we were not necessarily expecting them to put aside their differences in the offseason and come back and become that strong. But the Hawks, especially, are a big surprise, and you have a stat study that might explain why. Well, I was on uh, the French podcast Poster Dunk uh, this week, and we were talking with the JB, which we received on this show before, and we were digging into um, into NBA stats, and we found out some crazy, crazy numbers. Uh, if I name you, I'm going to name you five players, okay? And there, are, these are the five leaders of uh, the uh, in defensive ratings in the league: Luke Richard and Bamute, Malcolm Delaney. DeAndre Jordan, Chris Paul, and JJ Reddick. What do these players have in common? Oh, oh, uh, uh, four out of five of them are in the starting five of the Los Angeles Clippers. And well, yeah, who do you think? Chris Paul, yeah. And who do you think Malcolm Delaney plays for? Uh, I would say the Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks, and he's he's a bench player. He's their he's their uh, backup point guard. Um, it's, I don't remember seeing anything like this in the league. It is completely, completely nuts. These guys are just not getting scored on. And this is the key. This is the key to their, uh, to their success right now. Having a, having a starting five who just doesn't, uh, look, uh, Mbamute averages, uh, 85 points scored against. Uh, per per 48, um, 86 for Andrew Andrew Jordan, 87 for Chris Paul. They do not get scored on. Um, the, for the the Clippers have the first defensive rating in the league with uh, 93 points, and the second one are the Atlanta Hawks with 91.5, uh, 95.1, and number three, four and five, which are the Pistons, the the Heat, and the Hornets are four points over the Hawks with 99 points uh, a game each. Like, we're talking standout defenses here. We're talking uh, we're talking special players, uh, and we're talking a special kind of chemistry. Like, um, defense is a question of athleticism and chemistry. The guys have to talk together. The guys have to switch. The guys have to do their rotations. And, and right now, everything flows for the Clippers. And as long as the Clippers are going to keep this going... 
they're going to remain the best team in the NBA. That I can guarantee you. You know, you, you talk about defense, but I'm wondering, and yes. I'm going to ask you a question. Is it the future, like the short-term future of the NBA, is it going there? Because we've seen the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, the big, powerful player, mm -hmm. big slam dunk. Now, over the last few years, it's teams that can shoot threes and teams that have a high-efficiency shooting percentage. Uh, is it the next level of tactics in the NBA, the defense, to have players that cannot be defend, cannot be scored on and turn around and score themselves? Is that the future of the league? The thing is, it's a very good question. Um, the thing is, uh, perimeter defense, I think, is the future of the league because right now it's all about pacing and spacing. It's all about shooting the three-point. And, and it's all about having someone at the rim which in this case is DeAndre Jordan for the Clippers and Dwight Howard for the Hawks. It's all about defending the perimeter, defending the pick and roll, and having someone to protect the rim. And this will occasions a lot of transition. This occasions a lot of fast breaks. And I think this is where, indeed, the, the league are going to a more even more open floor uh, uh, type of play. Uh, and the key to playing aggressively uh, to, to run more is to have good defense. And while I'm, it's heartbreaking to say, but I'm not sure um, the Clippers are young enough and athletic enough to keep that up for 82 games plus uh, at least 16 um, uh, playoff games. They're showing the way. They're showing, I think, how how it's going. It's going to be meant to be played in a year or two. Like this, this is this is hinting at something very interesting. I find. Now, Demar Derozan uh, comes out of nowhere, has a great summer with the Olympics, yes. and comes out guns blazing, having a great beginning of the season. Uh, how can you explain the Demar Derozan enigma? <laughs> That's a good question. Like I've. I've thought about it like <laughs> all week, and that's another thing I debated on post dunk. I don't know. I don't know why the Bar de Rosen is suddenly so good because that's not just the confidence he's won from the Olympics. That would be too simple of an explanation, and that would mean that he that it would recede at some point. Yeah. Um, But it just like um, he finally got it. Got yeah. it. It's like it's like you're trying to do something for years. And yes. you finally do it, and you're like, oh, okay, that's how. All right, cool, I'm good. That's what I'm going to do now. Um, that's possible. Um, the thing is, the stats, and the interesting stats with uh, the Rosen are enormous, is averaging 24.5 field goal attempts a game. This is huge. Like, And he's making right now 51% of them, which is even better. Um He's taking up a lot, lot, lot of Toronto's offense. Um, if he can keep this up, like he's shooting a terrible three-point average, like he's shooting 26% right now on 1.9 attempts a game. If he can keep this up, which should be possible right now, because it seems like his shot is a little more stable. It seems like he's got a little more pop in his step. I'm not sure how well it can reflect on the, the on the Raps' success because he's taking such a huge part of the offense. Um, the Raps are being uh, very successful so far. I think they have seven victories and seven wins and three defeats. Yes, that's it. Um, but when they, they have their best guy is a guy who doesn't shoot the three very well. 
yeah. who is a mid-range shooter. But you got Kyle Lowry. Um, you got Kyle Lowry to help him for that. So, yes, Kyle Lowry is a better three-point shooter. That's a very that's a very good point. But at twenty-four point five field goals attempts a game, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And he's he's averaging four point nine rebounds also, which is which is. Uh, like impeccable also for a shooting guard averaging so much rebound, rebounds not a much turnover he's, he's, very, he's been very fuel efficient and a lot of people regret including me regret not taking him <laughs> in their fantasy league uh, at the start of the year because he was like a f- round four round five pick this year What's nobody expected this you expect yep. you expect a player like Demar Derozan to play like this in the last year of his contract, but it's not the case. It's yes. the case for Kyle Lowry, not him. Derozan just re-signed actually, so so Lowry is the one who's going to be on the hot seat in a few months time, and you would expect Lowry mm-hmm. to raise his game up, but Demar Derozan is doing that for both of them. Yeah, and uh, he's helping uh, he's helping Kyle Lowry too. I mean, Kyle Lowry is going is having a lot easier life having a guy like Demar Derozan to pass to. And but the thing was with Laurie, he is severely underpaid for his value right now, which is a very good thing for him. He is paid, I believe, um, he is paid, I believe, 12 billions a year. And uh, we're, t- we're in the league now where Joachim Noah got 18 million, where he's yeah. like half the player Laurie is. Yeah. So that's that's an issue. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very healthy thing that Damar is just playing uh, this way with such a uh, uh, w- with such a passion and such uh, and such a, uh, a drive. energy. Yeah, energy, yes, yeah. just just a drive and energy. Um, I is a bit of an enigma still for me. Like, is Damar Rosen for real? Is yeah, Damar well, Rosen going to carry this in the playoff? Um, we're gonna have to wait uh, and see. Pardon me. We're gonna have to wait and see for that one. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not buying yet. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not selling him out. I am not buying yet. Like I'm still on the in the air as whether or not Demar Derozan is a real deal. And the prospect of the week to finish the show as usual, Ben yes. Omer Yurt Seven. Yurt Seven. It's seven. like saying it's like saying yogurt seven, but, but without the no OG. So, he's not an OG. He's 18 years old. So, so he's not an OG yet, but he's a young. There's seven. a slight, is a slightly racist, awkward joke to make at the end of the show. Yes, um, uh, but we're not Phil Jackson. That's fine. <laughs> and uh, Yomer, you're seven, 18 years old, a Turkish guy. He played for Fenerbahce, uh, the uh, multi-team, uh, multi-sport team in Turkey. Uh, for listeners uh, who like other sports might know Fenerbahce for their soccer team, yes, for the handball team, the, the for their European. volleyball team, or even their swimming team. Exactly. In uh, the big competitions in Europe, in the Champions League and all that, you see Fenerbahce uh, uh, go to that level often. He, he had a lot of minutes in Fenerbahce because they didn't have any other seven-footer last year. So we were able to see a good deal of him. He is a trim, he's, he's very slim, a very slender seven-footer. And he is, that makes him a very uh, dangerous pick and roll player. Like he's going to screen at the top of the key and then he's going to barrel down. He's got very nimble feet. He's got a soft touch around the basket. He's always very dangerous in the pick and roll. And in the NBA, it's very important to master the pick and roll, especially if you're a big guy. Um, the problem with Omer Yurtseven is that he really, really sucks at defense. Uh, part of it is genetic. Part of it is that he's a seven-footer with a very short wingspan, 
Uh, he doesn't jump that much. He's not a very, he's not, he's not, he's not a, a, an A grade leaper. Uh, part of it is mental. He's 18 years old. He completely zone, zones out on some plays. I saw some footage where like he was caught ball watching, you know. Uh, it's a very, it's a crime in the in the NBA to ball watch. Like, well, if you watch the ball and you do not watch your man, and your man is back cutting behind you, like that's gonna get you benched for a long, long time. Uh, part of this is going to learn. Uh, part of this is going to have to kick it into his uh, reptilian brain not to do anymore. Yeah. Uh, I like I like Homer Yurtseven. He's a good role player type in the NBA. Is maybe a starter. I don't know. Uh, time will tell. Time will tell, and we'll be able to evaluate him better because he's coming to uh, North Carolina State to play this year to play with Dennis Smith oh. Jr., which we talked about as a potential number one, uh, number one pick. He's going to be benched for the first nine game of the year because of eligibility issues. Yeah, penalty. But come. Yes, but come Jan- come January, February, keep an eye out for Homer Year 7. Come March, especially. Oh, yeah, come March, especially. I, well, NC State's had to make the tournament. I think they're probably going to end up making it one way or another because there's a lot on eyes of eyes on them this year. So they might but, be one of, the, one of the picks, yeah. Yes, exactly. But, you know, they they have Dennis Smith, they have Homer Year 7. I think they're going to make some sweet pick and roll music together and they're going to assure themselves of a good uh, draft spot. Perfect. Well, until next time, Ben, next week, have a good basketball. Yes, sir. You too. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.